Welcome to the 14th episode of Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host, Mabel Nainan, and I'm so glad you joined me today. By the end of 2022, the number of refugees in the world stood at 35.3 million. The top country of origin was Syria, or Syrian Arab Republic, with 6.5 million refugees. Our guest, Jody Krimi, is the executive director of Art Inspiring Change, a non-profit organization of artists focused on welcoming and loving Syrian refugees primarily in the San Diego area. Jody felt called by God in 2014 to serve and love the Syrian people. And in this episode, she explains how the first steps she took in 2016 toward obeying God's call led her to establish an incredible ministry that's making a difference in the Syrian community and testifying to the love of God. Along with a handful of women volunteers, Jodi is now connected to about 80 local refugee families. Her team does more than help refugees resettle. They invest in long-term relationships with Syrian refugees, viewing them as friends and even family. Jodi helps us understand the traumatic background of her refugee friends and the challenges of resettling in a foreign country. She also talks about the positive impact her ministry has had on her personal life and faith. I hope this episode inspires you to find ways you can get involved in serving refugees in your community. Whatever your fears or doubts may be, you can take them to God in prayer. If He's nudging you to do something, you can trust that He will provide the means and opportunities to equip you to follow His lead. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends about it. And I would like to share some exciting news with you. My book, Far From Home, Discovering Your Identity as Foreigners on Earth, has recently won the Christian Market Book Award for 2022 Christian Living Book of the Year. I'm humbled and honored and grateful to God for His favor upon me. In my book, Far From Home, I draw from my personal experience as an immigrant and I examine the lives of biblical immigrant heroes to shed light on how we can find purpose and joy as foreigners on earth and citizens of heaven. Far From Home is available on Amazon and other popular online retailers, so I hope you will check it out. Hi and welcome to Far From Home with me, Mabel Nainan, your host. Our guest today was referred to me by Jody Evans, a friend and fellow writer. So if you're listening, Jody, thank you for introducing me to your namesake, Jody, who's also your relative. Uh, Jody Krimi is the executive director of Art Inspiring Change, a nonprofit organization of artists focused on welcoming and loving Syrian refugees, primarily in San Diego. And that's why I invited Jody to be a guest on uh, our show, because I wanted her to share her work and talk about the challenges and the blessings of being a part of a ministry like this, of serving Syrian refugees. Now, a little more about Jody. 
She served in youth ministry for 18 years before going on a life-changing trip to the Middle East and subsequently devoting her time to being with and loving the Syrian community in San Diego. She lives in Encinitas with her husband and enjoys painting and boxing. Wow. Welcome, Jody. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So tell me about boxing. You enjoy boxing. So do you just do it for exercise? And when did you start? Oh, I started many years ago. I do it for exercise. It's great exercise. But originally, um, I started because I was needing an outlet. And it, it, it was actually in the beginning a way for me to deal with some heavy emotional stuff I was going through. It was just something that I was curious about. And then I went and discovered that it was really something that I enjoyed. It's been a journey even that, but yeah, it's something that I go, it's not like I'm actually getting in the ring, but I go to boxing classes and have a really hard workout and really helped me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the more I know you, the, the more interesting and fun facts I discover about you. Uh, You're a painter, which means you've got an artistic side, but you work with the refugees, you also do boxing. And I did not mention this in the bio because I wanted you to talk a little more about this fun fact that you rode your bike from California to Florida and then from Canada to Mexico and Florida to Maine. Wow, that's quite an adventure and quite a a feat. Tell us more about that. Riding the bike across the country was originally my husband's thing. And he had a friend that he was going to ride with. And then as they were talking about this trip, I told my husband that I'd like to ride as well. And he didn't think I could do it. (laughs) So he said, okay, if you really want to do this, you've got to prove to me that you can And so the idea for this bike trip that he was going to do was to ride approximately 100 miles a day and start at the Pacific Ocean in San Diego and ride across the U.S. to the Atlantic Ocean in Jacksonville, Florida. And he said, we're going to do a kind of a test ride and ride 100 miles. And so I did that ride with him and some friends. And I made it, I was able to do 100 miles in a day. But what he didn't know is the next day, I couldn't get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) It was really, I was like, oh, wow, I don't know if I can do this. Um, But it was interesting, because I was, I, I had this thought that, because I knew that it seemed impossible. I thought, how on earth? Could I possibly Mm -hmm. ride my bike every day all the way across America, 100 miles a day? But I also had the idea that if God willed it, if God wanted me to, all things were possible with him. And I thought, wow, if I could ride my bike across the country, it would feel like I could do anything. It became a faith journey for me. I didn't start out in the beginning of that ride 
I, I had the desire to ride the entire thing, but I really didn't know if I would make it. I just kept saying, if God wills, I will do this if the Lord provides me the strength and the energy and everything to make it. And he did. And it was a really tough journey, but it was amazing. And I really grew in my faith through that experience because I came to the I came up against my limitations yeah. throughout that ride and found found the Lord to be present and to give me strength and energy and whatever I needed beyond my own capabilities. And so it, it really felt miraculous and it has been something that has shaped my life. And so that was the first ride of three rides. A few years later, we rode our bikes from the Canadian border down to the Mexican border along the West Coast. And then and a couple of years later, we rode from Key West, Florida up to the top of Maine. Each of these rides, ha- it has been my husband and myself and a couple of friends that have been doing these bike rides. And while we're doing the rides, we raise money for different ministries that we want to support. Each ride has been different and unique, but has had a profound impact on my life and especially my walk with God. So thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. I can't just read a fact like that and think, okay, (laughs) I'm a curious person. And this is such an interesting um, fact about you. And and it's quite an achievement. Uh, And so I felt I had to know, you know, how you did it. And our listeners, viewers would also be inspired by stories like this. So thank you for sharing that. Now, I'd like to go back to your work, the work that you do with Syrian refugees, and you're quite focused on the community that you serve. So tell us what inspired you to work with the Syrian refugees in particular? How did it all begin? Sure. For a long time, I had a desire to visit Israel. And in 2014, I had the opportunity to do that. And I was excited to go and see the Bible come alive, see the places where Jesus walked. And But there was an unexpected outcome of that trip. I went in 2014, which was just a few years after the Civil War started in Syria. And on our trip, we went to the Golan Heights. And that land was Syrian land at one time. And we were at the Syrian border looking out over Syria. And of course, the war had, they were in the middle of the war and we were looking out over a UN camp. And it's hard to explain what happened other than I really believe God's spirit touched me and gave me his heart for the Syrian people. I really felt such a burden for them and for what they were experiencing And it was around that time that we were seeing in our news here in the States what was going on over there because ISIS was moving in and taking cities. And there was just so much suffering and millions of people fleeing the country. And I actually wept as I was touched by God and contemplating these things. And when I came home from Israel, 
I continued to have this burden for the Syrian people and a desire to somehow help and be involved. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. At the time, I just started praying and I thought maybe this is, I have this burden because God wants me to pray for the Syrian people. But I was asking God to show me if there was something more that he wanted me to do, or if there was a way that I could be involved. And as I was praying and seeking God, the Lord just started showing me things through his word, through sermons, through people I talked with. And then a door opened with Youth for Christ for me to go to Lebanon and actually see what Youth for Christ was doing with the Syrian refugees who had crossed the border into Lebanon. And that was also a life-changing trip for me. And that was that trip I made in the spring of 2016. And at that time, when I went to Lebanon to work with the Syrians there, I had never met a Syrian in my life. In fact, I didn't have friends or really know people from the Middle East. And so I knew very little about the culture or anything. But I that trip was really confirmed the love and affection that God had put in my heart for these people. And when I came back, I thought, wow, I know that this is what I feel led to do. But I didn't know, practically speaking, how it what was going to happen next, because I'm married and we live in California. My husband wasn't ready to get up and move to the Middle East. And I didn't know any Syrian refugees here. I thought maybe I'm going to start raising money for Youth for Christ in Lebanon and the work that they're doing with refugees. All of this happened before a huge influx of Syrian refugees were resettled in San Diego. And I just and continually in awe at the way that God works. I had no idea in 2014 when I felt this burden and this love for the Syrian people and a desire to do something that he was preparing me for the people that he would be bringing to the San Diego area to be my neighbor. And in the summer of 2016, Hundreds of Syrian families were resettled in the San Diego area, and I was introduced to someone back at that time that was already working with refugees, and so he invited me to come and be a part of an event that he was hosting to welcome new Syrian families, and I guess you could say the rest is history. Wow, that's quite a journey, and just to, and so beautiful to see how God put that burden in your heart for Syrian refugees. And then it, it, and it's not a coincidence that you lived in San Diego and a lot of the, a lot of the Syrian refugees were being resettled there. And you also happen to know someone working with them. So what was the first step that you took with this friend? What did you do to get? I was invited to participate in this welcoming picnic for Syrian families. And at that picnic, I connected with some of the families. At that time, I had someone translating for me. And 
they we exchanged contact information and they gave me their addresses and phone numbers and invited me to their homes. I had never visited a refugee in the United States or visited a Syrian family for that matter. But I was really excited about this. And after that, I asked a translator, a friend of mine who spoke Arabic, if she would go with me to visit some of the families we had met at this picnic. And that was my introduction to this work. And it was really very eye-opening for me. I had the illusion that when refugees came here, they would be well cared for and have their basic needs met. Mm -hmm. And it was really a heartbreaking experience to discover that's not the case. In fact, the first Syrian family that I went to visit, we were at their home. They welcomed us. They were so happy that we came to visit. They had only been in the U.S. for, I don't even think, a month. And we were in their home for maybe 20 minutes to a half an hour. And they were welcoming us and just talking about some of their experience and everything. And then the the mood suddenly shifted as they were talking with us. And they said that their teenage son was upstairs and he was really sick. And they started explaining to us what was wrong. And they said that they didn't know how to get him help, but they were really worried about him. And the dad went up and got him and had to help him come down the stairs. And he really looked horrible. You could tell immediately that he was very sick. And we quickly said we need to go to the hospital. And we took the dad and the son to Rady Children's Hospital. And they went into the emergency room and they got him in right away and just to make a long story short, they said how good it was that we brought him in when we did. And myself and the translator were there for hours at the hospital with this family. But it was an experience like this that really gripped my heart. This was my first visit. And here this family, they didn't know even how to get help for their son. That was really sick. And there are so many things as an American that has grown up here that I take for granted. And I never think about what it would be like to be in a completely foreign place where I don't know the language and I don't know how things are done. Even something basic like getting medical help can become very challenging. So I felt like also that it was really by the grace of God that we went to visit, that we had connected with this family and went to visit them when we did. And the Lord used us in a profound way to be able to help this family in a very dire situation. Yeah, absolutely. I can see God's hand in that. Can you tell us about the challenges that refugees, especially Syrian refugees that you've met, face in their resettlement process. I cannot even imagine how hard it must be for them emotionally because they're already facing trauma back home and now they have to flee and come and live in a completely foreign culture. But I think some people assume that when refugees come here, instantly everything's better for them, but they have to go through adjustment and I'm sure they face some practical challenges. So can you talk a little more about that? 
Yeah, sure. It's a huge adjustment. And I think it would be a huge adjustment, even if they didn't face some of the trials that they face because of our resettlement agencies. But it's just even the situations that they are put in when they first arrive here make it even more difficult. And our resettlement system, there's just a lot of problems that I've seen. And what happens is the resettlement agencies are bringing families here, but they have too many families than they can handle. And so families arrive and they don't have housing for them. They're supposed to be assigned a caseworker that's supposed to help them with a lot of their basic needs the first three months that they are here. But so many of the caseworkers have way more families than they can handle. And so back in 2016, when we were first visiting families, we met many families that were put in hotels because when they arrived, they didn't have housing for them. Imagine if you're a family with six kids being put in a hotel room by by American picks you up and takes you to this hotel. And so many of the Assyrians Syri- have kind of high expectations of what life in America is going to be like. And so it's very difficult when they come and they're put in a hotel. And all of the hotels that I saw families in were very, like really bad hotels. They were hotels that really no one would want to stay in. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it just was a really sad situation. I mean, I know families that were put in hotels with bed bugs and just had all different kinds of challenges because of this initial situation. And some of them were left in hotels for over a month. And a hotel is not going to have a kitchen and everything. Imagine trying to feed. Your family is stuck in the hotel room. You don't know anyone in the United States. And you don't have even a way of preparing meals for your family. It's just really heartbreaking to see the situations that were fa- families were in. And now I haven't seen families because the number of new Syrian families that we're connected with there's not as many coming all at one time. And so I don't see those same situations. However, they're still being put in homes. They don't have, for instance, last week we went and visited a new family that had been here for, again, probably about a month or so. And the caseworker is supposed to set up an apartment for so that when the family arrives, they can, everything all of the things that they need, basically. But like this family had six children, so there's eight of them, and they were given four plates. And then it's a difficult situation because the caseworkers have, they're overloaded and the resources are maybe thin, but the family is supposed to have their needs met when they come. Mm -hmm. Most of the time they don't. And so that's that those are some of the areas where we try to fill in if there's a situation like that we try to get donations of plates and towels and other things that a family might need and fill in some of those gaps yeah so do you partner with other organizations and and churches 
Oh, yes, definitely. And we try to, if we visit a family and there are tangible things that we can do to help and we have the resources to do it, we totally do that. But a lot of times the needs are much greater than what we can provide. So if that's the case, we try to connect them with churches and we have partners that will help with various needs. Like recently we had a church that helped us purchase a bunk bed for a family, a new family, or we connect them with other organizations that are there to help refugees with some of these needs. So when you say we, Jody, do you have a team now by now in place? And can you tell us more about your team or your group? Yes, we have a small team. I have two dear Lebanese sisters that I work with, and we couldn't do what we do without them because we rely on them as cultural insiders and also translators. Then we also have about four American women that have just really, they have a heart and feel committed to working with Syrian refugees. And so they also work with us. So it's a team of volunteers and we're a small team, but by the grace of God, the Lord uses whatever we have to offer. So Mm. (laughs) I've seen God do so much in us and through us. I I can only imagine. And you're volunteering your time and you're loving on these people. And so I'm sure that God is rewarding you by giving you more opportunities and expanding your network. So tell us about how has this been for you personally? How has this affected your walk with God? Or what are some of the challenges you face in your ministry and how do you cope with them? Yeah, that's a good question. One thing that has been so important is how my view of God has really expanded from doing this work. I've just seen the Lord work in so many amazing ways. And so much of this journey has just been me showing up. (laughs) It's like I've gotten a front row seat to see God's (laughs) work. And it's been a huge blessing. I've definitely gotten closer to the Lord also because I entered into this work thinking that I was going to welcome Syrians and help them feel at home. And instead, they have been the ones welcoming me and helping me feel at home. And the Lord has used that in profound ways in my life. During COVID, we weren't doing many home visits. But we did go on some, especially when there was a situation where it seemed important. We went to visit a woman who was actually battling cancer. And in the middle of COVID, I was so nervous because I knew that she was very vulnerable. And so I was very nervous about visiting her and just wanted to be super careful. And when we went to visit her, I was wearing a mask and it just... Usually when you go and visit a Syrian family, there's just such a warm welcome and an exchange of hugs and kisses and all of that. But I thought, I don't, I I wasn't sure that was going to be appropriate in this situation. But when I entered this woman's house, 
she ripped the face mask off of me and kissed me. <laughs> and I just was like, it shocked me really. But it was, this is how the Syrian people are. I just feel like this is just a small example, but they are so welcoming and so loving and wanting so much for us to go and visit. And the Lord just continues to reveal his heart to me through my interactions with the Syrian people and the way that I've been welcomed and loved by them. It's been, it's really been extraordinary. You asked me another question that I think I haven't answered yet. Maybe about the challenges that you face and how you cope with them. For instance, I was thinking, does it frustrate you sometimes when you see that you see how the resettlement agencies work or how overloaded they are, that the refugees are not getting the help they need, or maybe there were situations when you wanted to give them the help they so desperately need, but for some reason you just couldn't. So how do you, what are the challenges and how do you cope with them? Those are huge challenges. And I've had to, I've had to wrestle through a lot of things concerning those issues. Early on, when I started seeing how much suffering some of my Syrian friends were going through when they first came here, it was very upsetting. And I really wanted to do something about it. Now, Mm -hmm. God has used us because, for instance, this family that was left in a hotel for over a month, I got that family's caseworker's name and made calls to the resettlement agency and talked with the caseworker that was assigned to that family and started putting pressure on that person. And I think actually just having an American call them and for them to know that there's somebody that is aware of this situation and is seeing it, is wanting to do something about it, gets people to maybe act on behalf of a situation. I did what I could, like I, in in various situations, I did what I could in a small way by trying to affect change. And I saw God, God work in that. But there were bigger things that I wrestled with dealing with some of the systemic issues that exist in our resettlement system and trying to make change on a bigger scale. And I had to figure out if that's what God was calling me to. And if those were my problems to try to solve. And Mm. where I landed was that I really, to this day, feel like God is calling me more to, to be present in the midst of the circumstances that the Syrians find themselves in. There's something I think that it's like what Jesus did. He came and he was with us and he entered into this world and experienced all the things that we experience. And I feel like, yeah, what I'm called to is to be present with people in their in their suffering and stuff, even when I can't fix it and I can't mm-hmm. change the situation that they're in. Yeah. Um, somehow... God uses us when we show up and we're there to love and to listen and to be with people 
because sometimes the problems are too big for us to solve. And that's where I have to leave things in God's hands. Yeah. And pray that God will call people who are in the right field to be able to address the bigger problems that need to be addressed. Yeah. And you bring up a very important point. And that's something that even I try to remember that each of us has a different calling. And maybe there is someone who's called to advocacy and who are who feel called to change public policy and work with politicians. Some of us are called to be activists. Some of us are called to really work with the system and change, make changes. And th- there's so much that we can do, especially when it comes to ministering to immigrants and refugees. And God puts it on our hearts. He gives us each a burden that is, is specific to us. And yeah, it can be frustrating that we are not on a large scale changing things for them, but just by being faithful to what God has called us to do in small ways and big ways, we are making a difference and we are changing things and helping people. And I think remembering that will keep us motivated to continue continue in our ministry, whatever it is that we are doing. But I think especially with, with working with immigrants and refugees, I don't want some of our listeners to be overwhelmed and think, where do I begin? Uh, it's a lot, but it's just about like you, you keep saying, showing up and doing whatever you can in your area. Start locally and start with maybe a neighborhood community. And sometimes that's simple as taking a meal to a new family or helping out their children, or telling them about resources available, or even doing research, what kind of uh, refugees is your city taking, and things like that. And maybe some of you really feel called to making a change in a from a political or a public policy standpoint, and you can do that too. So thank you for making that point. I think it's important for us to discuss that. But I also wanted to go back to the Syrian people a little bit. And now that you've been interacting with them for quite some time, tell us what kind of situations are they fleeing, if you know their backgrounds without mentioning their names? And uh, my second question to that is, what do you love most about the Syrians? Tell us a little more about their culture that you like and enjoy. Wow, I have heard really horrific stories of the war that the Syrians have been fleeing. Just last week, I was taking some pillows and blankets to a Syrian woman who actually has family coming to live with her family from Syria. And I, I she came out and greeted me in the driveway. And I commented on her English. I told her, oh, your English is very good. And then she said, oh, thank you, but it's hard for me sometimes. I can't remember words. And then she started telling me about when she was in Syria and her apartment or her home was being bombed and she was trying to get out of there and running down the stairs carrying her baby. And when she was doing that, she slipped and fell on concrete stairs and was pretty much unconscious for about four days and had some traumatic brain injuries and and back injuries because of that experience. And I was just reminded that 
every one of the Syrian people has just, they have lived through really horrifying experiences and have, they fled Syria and they fled their homes because they were running for their lives. And we, so a lot of the Syrians that come to San Diego come mainly because of three reasons. Either someone in their family has serious medical issues and we have great medical care here. Someone in their family has died as a result of the war or someone in their family has been tortured or like really tortured and abused. We've met numerous Syrian men that spent time in Syrian prison, in like a government prison. In fact, one of them is blind because of what they did to him in the prison. Another Syrian man has told us of his his time when he was in the prison, which actually he has a really miraculous story. His story could be made into a movie because it's really unclear as to why he was even let out. I think it it's part of God did something miraculous to get him out of there. But when he got out, his family didn't even recognize him because he was in such bad shape. But they did horrible things to him. I don't even know really how much detail to go into, but pretty much all of the families have seen a lot and been through a lot. One thing that's interesting is a lot of the families came in the summer and the first holiday <clears throat> that they experienced here in the States was Halloween. And we remember, I remember visiting families and them asking us, what is this holiday about? What are you celebrating? Because imagine if you've come from a war-torn country and seen war, and you've seen real dead bodies and body parts along the road, and then you come to another country where as a part of their holiday, they're putting headstones in their front yard and gruesome body parts laying around and like celebrating. I don't know. It was very eye-opening to me. It was like, wow, when you grow up here, you become desensitized to things like the way that we celebrate Halloween in America, but for someone coming from the outside um, and to have their perspective on it is very interesting. Um, Thank you for sharing that. It was definitely eye-opening to me. I, I never had that perspective either. Um, yes, you definitely answered that question, you know, about what kind of situations they're coming, they're, they're fleeing uh, when they leave home. Is there anything else you want to add before talking about their culture? It's really heartbreaking. Most of them were living on land or in homes that their families had owned for centuries. They're mm. very deeply rooted. And so I think one of the hardest things is that they had to flee their country and they not only lost their home and all of that, but they really also lost their family and their community. And I would say even their identity because they had like where they lived, they had their family living for centuries and they had an identity 
as a certain people living in a certain place with a certain culture and all of that is gone and their families are scattered throughout the world. And I just think that's for the the Syrian people, family is huge. Family Mm -hmm. is everything. And also they have such a sense of community in America. We're very individualistic, but from the Syrian perspective, everything that they do and the way that they view the world and stuff, it's all in the context of community. And to have lost that. And the other thing that I could talk about at this point is also one of the things that I love so much is they have such a strong value on hospitality. And I think their hospitality is off the charts. I've never in my life experienced such hospitality. So we always receive the warmest welcome. And they just, they go to great lengths to make us feel like royalty. So I share that though, because for them to come to the the United States, first of all, for them to, to lose their community and their family and their identity, and then for them to come to the U.S. and not receive a really a warm welcome, not receive hospitality when they come here. It's just so tragic to me. And I think this is really part of what's at the heart of what we want to do is we want to be people that are welcoming them and showing them hospitality In whatever ways we can, restoring some sense of family, like giving them a feeling of, I do have family here in America. They may not be Muslim or they may not be Syrian, but there are people who genuinely love me that I can call on when I need help with something. That's really what's at the heart of what we're all about. Wow. When you were talking, I was just trying hard not to cry just putting myself in their shoes and trying to imagine what they've been going through. And thank you so much for the work that you are doing. And I can tell that you're serving them from your heart and you love them so much. And you're doing it not just out of a duty or anything like that, but um, you're driven by a passion to make them feel welcome and make them feel at home. I'm so thankful to God for you and your team and for the work that you're doing. And before you go, I have one last question for you. So if what tips can you give to someone who wants to work, especially with um, Syrian refugees? Do you have any suggestions based on your experience? Yeah, I definitely would say don't be afraid of what you don't know. Don't be afraid to just show up. The Syrians are very gracious people and they will just be excited to get to know you. Yeah, I just want to, I think that's probably true no matter where people are from, whatever refugees you have the opportunity to get to know, just go. (laughs) Don't worry about doing things wrong. They're going to be so grateful that you showed up and that you want to be their friend. Another Mm. thing I would say concerning hospitality is I've had to learn to eat slow (laughs) (laughs) because their hospitality is so wonderful. And the Syrian food in particular is just amazing to me. I love Syrian food. The women are amazing cooks and they make everything from scratch. 
And when you go to a meal, the food just keeps coming. There's like course after course, and you might think that you're finished, but there'll be more. And as soon as you empty your plate, more will be put on your plate. So after some experiences of being uncomfortably full, I learned I have to eat slower because if I eat too fast, it's going to be a problem. Um, (laughs) So maybe your tip is go with an empty stomach. (laughs) Absolutely. But also, I'd like to say something more about the friendship piece. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes as Americans... We mean, but our idea of friendship might be a little different than the Syrian idea of friendship. I've learned a lot from them about what friendship looks like. I'm so grateful for their culture and the value that they put on family and friends. But if you go and you start a relationship with a Syrian and you have a meal with them and everything, they're going to really want you to be a friend in the same way that you would be a friend with another American, like an equal friendship where you're going and doing things together. I've seen some Americans show up and express that they want to be friends, but really what they're really thinking is that they're showing up to help this person or this family. And as soon as they maybe don't need help anymore, they drop off. And we've had a lot of Syrian families ask us and say to us, we had this couple that were coming and visiting us when we first came here. And now we don't see them anymore. They don't come, they don't call. We're wondering what's happened because the Syrian family was thinking this is a real friendship. And they are looking forward to years of friendship. (laughs) And whereas I think the Americans sometimes think that I just am going to do what I can to help them, but they're not intending to have a long-term relationship and go to people's weddings or graduations and visit them in the hospital. And really, this is where we can have the greatest impact, at least Mm -hmm. from what, from my experience, is to really enter into relationships, friendships that are for the long-term. And also, I think there needs to be a shift maybe in some of our American viewpoint, because as I said, I initially was thinking that I was going to be the one welcoming them and helping them feeling feel at home. And really, they're the ones who've showed me how to do that. And I have learned so much from them, so much. I could share a lot of stories about that. But when you enter into a relationship and you and it's like an equal friendship, you expect and you think that you're going to also learn from them. Like you're learning from each other. It's a mutual relationship. Yeah, I think this is most important. I love that. And thank you for reminding us of that. And the word you used is equal friendship, which is good. Because when you start to see this as ministry, some of us may think that may have the savior mentality that we are there to help them. We are there to re- rescue them in some way. And that may be the case, but genuine friendship, sincere love happens when it's a two-way relationship. You see the other person as someone who is made in the image of God, who is your equal and with whom you can have a long-term relationship, a friendship. And you put it so beautifully. And I think we need such reminders. 
Um, thank you so much, Jody. I've personally learned so much from you. Um, it was so good to get to know you and the work that you do. And I'm going to put you and your team of women heroes on my prayer list. I'm going to be praying for you. And I invite our listeners and viewers also to be praying for you and the community that you serve. And for those of you who are listening or watching, like Jody said, pray and ask God for what to do and then just show up and find ways to help out the immigrants and refugees in your neighborhood. One small step at a time, that's all it takes. Thank you, Jody, for speaking with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on Far From Home a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host, Mabel Nainan. I would like to invite you to join our private Facebook group, Far From Home Podcast, a place where you can share your thoughts and comments. I also share extra scenes and behind-the-scenes snippets on this Facebook group. I can't wait to meet you there and listen to what you have to say. If you want to know more about Far From Home or about me, go to MabelNinen.com. Some episodes of this podcast are available in video format on my YouTube channel, Mabel Nainen. Be sure to check that out if you're interested in watching the interesting conversations I have with the guests on this podcast. Thanks again for listening and I'm so glad you joined us today. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.